Welcome to the podcast of the Las Vegas Rotary Club. My name is Jim Cole, and I'm proud to be the 96th president of Las Vegas Rotary. Las Vegas Rotary's main focus is on youth, specifically youth literacy and life skill development. If you're in town, we invite you to join us at the Lowry's Prime Rib at noon on Thursdays. You can also find more information about our meetings on lasvegasrotary.com. If you're unable to join us, we live stream our meetings on Facebook at noon Pacific time Thursdays. We hope you enjoy this podcast. So I have actually the lovely pleasure of introducing our speaker today, Bob Bennett. Well, I don't know Bob Bennett personally. I do know the NSAC commission personally. As an MMA fighter, who is, who is a fan of unarmed combat? No? Hand -hand boxing, MMA, anything. Um, the Nevada State Athletic Commission is in charge of basically everything to do with that, from licensing requirements, handing down um, suspensions if things happen, and basically creating the ins and outs of how refs perform and everything. Um, they were created in 1941, and they've done a pretty good job so far of making sure that unarmed combats in the state of Nevada are done well, um, they're done safely, and uh, the sports continue to grow here. So without pleasure, I'd like to introduce our speaker, the Executive Director of the Nevada uh, State Athletic Commission, Bob Bennett. Sorry about the delay. <laughs> I've got a lot of papers here. Uh, first of all, I'd like to uh, figure out this mic. And uh, I'd like to thank you uh, for inviting us. On behalf of Chairman Marnell and the commissioners, it's certainly my pleasure to be here today to explain to you what we do. And I, I will tell you, it was very nice to come to a meeting such as this and uh, say the Pledge of Allegiance and have a prayer and... Um, the servicemen that, uh, and women that are here today, I, I honor you. I appreciate the service that you give to your country, and um, but that will move forward. I, I could probably speak on just about every topic that I'm going to bring up briefly for anywhere from 30, to 30 minutes to an hour. So I'm not going to do that, obviously, but I'm just going to give you a broad, brief overview on what we do. So if you take a look at what our mission statement is, and it was just briefly told to you, is we go ahead and we regulate unarmed combat. Unarmed combat would be kickboxing, Muay Thai, uh, mixed martial arts, and boxing. We also um, will go ahead and license all those fighters, whether it's a promoter, a manager, a fighter, uh, seconds. Uh, we also do our own judges, ringside physicians, inspectors, and referees. Um, Along those lines, you should know that our number one priority is the health and safety of the fighters. Uh, can you hear me all right in the back? I'm a little hoarse today. All right. We've, we've, had, we've had a real busy week. So um, as was also previously mentioned, uh, obviously did your homework. Um, for historical background, in 1941, the Nevada Athletic Commission was formed by a, an act of the Nevada legislature. Um, so how are we regulated? You know, how do we keep the fighters, the promoters, and everybody in check? We do that through Nevada Revised Statute 467, 
and also the Nevada Administrative Code 467. And really, by and large, most of the events that, that we have, uh, we work day in and day out with uh, the Nevada Administrative Code 467. And what that is is basically an operational type uh, document that gives you the size of the ring, gloves, weight classes, uh, basically what, what a promoter can do, can't do, and what they're held accountable for. Next slide. Thanks, thank you. And uh, the next slide, slide is our organizational chart. And this is really important, especially for um, the state of Nevada and for our employees and for the fighters. Four years ago when I started, we had uh, three ladies and myself. I walked into, into the office and I was somewhat taken back um, that these ladies have been in the business. They're extremely experienced. Um, they've been in the, business, in the business a number of years, and all three of them do a phenomenal job. And as I said, they're really experienced. So uh, you're not really experienced if you're 21, 31, 41. Um, so, you know, I guess you're not supposed to speak about age in the workplace. But let me tell you, these ladies are old school, and they do a great job. But the first thing that came to mind for me was, Oh, man, God forbid one of these ladies gets sick. I'm going to be the first executive director that's not going to be able to put on a, on a fight, you know. And, uh, I mean, that caused more anxiety for me than going undercover in the FBI. I mean, it was, it was pretty embarrassing. So uh, I got a hold of the chairman, the former chairman, Francisco Aguilar, and the uh, current chairman, uh, Anthony Marnell III, and with their vision and their insight, we went ahead and we became self-funded, okay? Uh, initially, we came under the state. We were state-funded. And even in the heyday of boxing, before MMA came into, into existence, the commission was only given $500,000 or $550,000. 550, I mean, you look at that amount, and we're a multi-million dollar operation. And with, with three incredible ladies and myself, who uh, was a, a lot of OJT for me in uh, seven days a week to, to get up to speed, by becoming self-funded, what that did for us is uh, it enabled us to double our staff. Uh, matter of fact, we just hired a young man yesterday, hopefully for a long-term investment. And um, so we're up to eight. So by being self-funded, we, ha we have eight people. And, um, you know, I, I've been in the government for a long time. There's a lot of great things about the government, but sometimes the government <clears throat> doesn't really run business too well. Uh, but I'm here to tell you that the Nevada State Athletic Commission with uh, Anthony Marnell at the helm, you know, we run this like it's a, a private business. And uh, we're very customer-oriented, and um, we're very service-oriented, and we, we look to establish a level playing field for the fighters. Um, <clears throat> I'm fortunate enough now to... Uh, I have an assistant. I have two other employees that handle Frankie Mason, our management analyst, too, and one other person that handles our licensing and financial matters. And then, then we have four other individuals that are basically operational. They run the events, uh, do all the paperwork pre, during, and post, and they also handle our performance-enhancing drug testing program, which is uh, self-funded as well. So that gives us the opportunity with the Performance Enhancing Drug Program to work with Vada USADA, and we can just go out and uh, hire our own person to go ahead and test fighters that uh, we randomly test them. They don't know when we're coming. We just show up at their doorstep, 
And once they're licensed with us, they're obligated to be tested because we want to make sure when somebody enters a cage or enters the ring that they're not on any performance-enhancing drugs, and what you see is what you get. So, uh, you know, may the best person win. So with that, um, <clears throat> we'll move forward and give you a rough idea of what being self-funded has done to us, uh, or for us, I should say. And we're just going to mention just a couple of fights. Back in 15, you had the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight. That fight alone, even though we do business all year long, was 4.4 million, 4 million at point, 4.4 million. Um, in, say, uh, 16, we had the uh, Ronda Rousey and Amanda Nunes fight with the UFC. We made 400,000. 100,000 of that, of course, went to the Nevada Athletic Commission. Um, then you go forward to 17. 17 was a great year. Uh, we had the McGregor-Mayweather um, fight. And that went ahead and gave us $4.4 million. And then we went to the Triple G and Canelo fight, their first one, which was $2.2 million. You can find that. And you had $6.6 million for us as the commission. That gave us like $1.2 million. Okay, so being self-funded with the vision that the uh, chairman and, uh, and his predecessor had, you know, really was uh, a blessing. Even though we, we came in at, at 1.2 and 17, I don't know. Uh, only God knows how the attorney general had 400,000 coming their way. So be careful who you vote for. No. <laughs> um, like I said, our number one priority is the health. Excuse me. Our number one priority, <clears throat> even though we're in the hurt business, and it's a pretty violent business, our number, uh, our number one priority is the health and safety of the fighters and ensuring that we have a level playing field. So what do we do uh, to, to achieve this? And like I said, it's no, our number one priority. It's something I live and die by, and I, and I take very seriously because I'm the one that approves the matches. So under where it says match approval, the promoter, the matchmaker will, will come to me, and they'll give me a, a fight fax. In the old days, a fight fax gave you the record of fighter A and fighter B. Oh, he's 20 and 2. He's 19 and 3. All right, they're fine, they're fine to uh, fight each other. Nowadays, with uh, social media and the, the Internet and the sites, I mean, there's a litany of sites that I can go to to make sure that the undercard events are even closer. Because when you have a promoter that uh, is, owns this fighter and he wants him to fight somebody that, that is down here, it's a mismatch because they just want to make sure that their fighter is like 20 and 0 and they get, they get KOs or TKOs, technical knockouts, knockouts, at the expense of someone that doesn't have their skill set. So what else do I do at, when I approve those matches? Well, I can go on the Internet. I can Google somebody that's making his pro debut to see what his amateur record looks like so that whoever his opponent is, um, it's going to be fairly equal. I look for a reason to approve it. I even go to YouTube. I look at the two fighters. I'll bring their names up in YouTube, and I'll look at their skill set. And, you know, all of a sudden you'll see their skill set despite their record, and you go, you know what, this isn't going to work. So I can tell you there's a lot of matchmakers that don't think very highly of me because um, I'm very conservative, and that's really not the norm in our business. So when, when you hear about the Nevada State Athletic Commission, I can guarantee you that we do the very best we can to uh, – to make the level, the level, the field a, a level playing field. Excuse me. 
And if we go, what do we do with the medicals? We've got another experienced lady by the name of Daisy. She's incredible. Um, we have a spreadsheet that we use for every fighter, every, every event that we have. And under that, it has about 13 different categories. It has a contestant's name. Does he have a license, an application? Has it been given to us? Where's his picture? Where's his federal ID card? Um, what's his purse going to be? He has to be tested 30 days before his fight for HIV. For the females, they have to be tested 10 days before their fight for pregnancy tests. Then we have to make sure they're tested for hep hepatitis B, hep C, and uh, we conduct the CBC, uh, complete blood count. We also have them see an ophthalmologist, uh, an MRI, and an MRA. So you have like 13 categories. Let's say you have a bout card of eight fighters. That's 16 contestants that Daisy has to go ahead and make sure that their medicals are complete. You know, missing, missing a test, God forbid somebody has hep C or HIV and we don't have that block checked off. We don't want a physician assistant, it must be from a doctor. And with Daisy, nobody gets by. And the amazing thing about Daisy doing, doing the medicals for us is one is she's extremely loyal and she's extremely hardworking. But she doesn't just take this sheet She's got like six or eight events running at the same time with medicals. So I'm approving fights two and three, three uh, weeks down the road, and she's got, you know, she's working maybe eight or ten different bouts on medicals. So, you know, we're, we're not just looking for next week. We're already a month down the road because we're so busy. Um, now we'll get into the official selection. I don't know how many of you paid attention or were interested in the last Triple G um, Alvarez fight, but uh, that's where I come in. If we have a, uh, a championship fight or a 12-round special event, I'm the person that makes the recommendations to the chairman and the commissioners. And believe me, it takes every bit of a month. I take my time. I go through all the stats. I look at everything. I think of what's best for the fighter because it's incumbent upon our officials to make sure that the, fight, the right fighter truly wins that fight. So the judges and the referees are under tremendous scrutiny, and rightfully so, because this is, this is their profession. It's a, it's a rough way to make a living, and uh, we want to make sure we get it right, because we're taking money from that fighter or food off the table from his family or her family because we don't get it right. So, you know, we do a lot of training. Um, usually when I make my recommendations to the chairman and the commissioners during a, a formal commission meeting, um, by and large, they, they agree with me because I bring a, a, a variety of uh, statistics in front of me in case anybody has a question, and I can answer it for them. You look at the next chart, next clip. It's, uh, it's a flow chart, and uh, that'll definitely put you to sleep. And I don't, think you could definitely, I don't even think you could follow it, quite frankly. Um, but in red, you'll see it starts with the bout approval. Then we move over to Daisy again to review the medicals. Then we go through the licensing. Then we're taking a look at the, our drug screening. Are we going to do the testing before and after the fight? Or we test some of these fighters one or two months outside from their fights. They never know when we're coming. All of a sudden, we send somebody down to Guadalajara. And they're at the uh, fighter's house. Knocks on the door. He's licensed. It's incumbent upon him to open the door. And our phlebotomist will go ahead, sometimes take blood, sometimes just take urine. And then we'll get it back. If they try to run from us, then they'll come before us for a hearing, 
and they won't be fighting for quite some time. Um, if you try to avoid a test, it obvious, obviously means you've been using performance-enhancing drugs, and you know, you'll be suspended for every bit of one year, depending on uh, our regs. So the other thing, when, when we're at a fight, um, when I get there right away, there's certain things you have to look at. Uh, Frankie, let me know when uh, we're at about 15. All right. Um, when I get to a fight, the first thing I do is I make sure my timekeepers have a six-foot table because everybody takes different things from them, and I, can t I just tell them, listen, if you, if you want your fight to go on, give my, give my timekeepers a six-foot table because a fight can't go without a timekeeper. And uh, if you watch football or uh, basketball, every now and then you'll find a problem with a timekeeper. In football, I think they might have six or eight different timekeepers to keep track. We have two. And they're, they're, during every fight, we never had a problem with the time. They're kind of like our ringside physicians. Uh, they're the silent, deadly uh, heroes of, of what we do. But we make sure, those of us that are uh, working with the commission, that they get their recognition. But, but the public really has no idea that how, how meticulous and fastidious they are when they're keeping times during the rounds. Um, so I'll get there, and uh, we'll go ahead and we'll take a look at um, where are the ambulances. Uh, the, the chief ringside physician and I will say, okay, Doc, where are we going? Where are the ambulances? And he'll show me. And we'll make sure we'll have two, okay? So we want to make sure that what's the most expeditious route to go from the locker room or from, God forbid, from the ring. And... Um, you know, we have to take that person to UMC. We have something set up, you know. Could break an arm, could have an orbital fracture, could be cut bad, you know. You know, we, we, uh, what I should sneak in here is that one of the things that we do is we stop a fight, one punch or one kick sooner than later. And the officials will never have a problem with that from the chairman or the commissioners or myself. Because once again, the, the fighter, if he's losing, he doesn't need to take any extra punishment. And um, uh, and then of course we do our pre-briefings like anything else. If you're involved with SWAT, you do a you do a pre-briefing before you go and hit a house, hit a house. Then at the end you do a debriefing. So you got to have pretty thick skin when we do a debriefing because if you didn't get the score right, it means you affected that you affected that fighter. You took money from him. You hurt his career. And uh, during training, I often say, "What does a professional fighter do?" Come on, tell me, tell me what he does Some, with all my officials. How much does he run? How, how long now does he start his training? What's his diet consist of? Okay, and then I turn around and say, hey, you know what a fighter goes through to get ready for a championship fight. What do you do to prepare to officiate that fight? And um, in order for me to recommend the officials, they have to prove themselves that they've been successful under pressure in the, in the fight capital of the world. Because when people come here, they feel that they, they reach, reach the mecca of uh, unarmed combat. And quite frankly, I'm very humbled by it because I really didn't know how much it really meant to these outside officials when they come here. And they, uh, as you all know, were considered the fight capital world. MGM spends top dollar to make sure that, um, you know, we get these fights. And then it's incumbent upon us to make sure that uh, we officiate them correctly. Are we about ready for that other one? Okay, so what we're going to do now is we're going to have a little fun. You're going to see, you're going to see how difficult. That's enough of that. You're going to see how difficult it is to uh, to refer. Hold on, you got to hold that. Okay, I'm out of time. So, 
I want you to pick, you know, Triple G obviously has the three Gs on him, and, and you got Canelo to the left right now. So you take a look, and at the end, we'll just by a, a show of hands, we'll see who thought who won that fight, that round, excuse me. It was a very controversial round. Was, no, I don't want to tell him that. <laughs> In case we have any real fans here, I don't know. Um, so really what you're looking for is somebody that, that has the clean, effective blows. Um, and another easier way to look at it is who would you rather be at the end of that round? <laughs> you know? This was a fight in 2017, sir, not last Saturday. All right, we got a minute and 50. I mean, you should be focused, not even listening to me, like when the crowd's roaring with 21,000 people. You know, I don't hear them. When I was a judge, I couldn't hear them. That's how focused you are. You need to be looking at every move. You, you turn your head for one or two seconds, and you miss a good jab or a good hook. That could be the difference of the round. This is halfway through the fight. Like Frankie said, this is round seven. And you can win a fight by being a counterpuncher or walking a fighter down like Triple G is right now. He's walking, he's walking down Canelo, but Canelo can fight off the ropes. And Canelo might be looking to take a little bit of a break and walk down Gennady later. There you go. You got 48 seconds to, be, to, to make a selection. Now, who, who's going to win this round? And one of the keys are is to stay relaxed and just let the fight come to you. Don't get all uptight that, you know, it's real close. It's going back and forth. By the time the clappers go for 10 seconds, you'll, you'll know that, okay, I got 10 seconds left. And those 10 seconds could decide who wins that, this round. That's Kenny Ballas as the referee. <clears throat> All right. Who taught, how many people thought Canelo won that round by a show of hands? Come on, put him up. Don't be embarrassed. <laughs> you put yours up and you put it down. That's not right. Oh, right. we got two. And you got two. And the rest of you thought Triple G won that fight. Won that round, excuse me. Well, both our judges, two of our judges had Triple G. And the one guy that didn't had Canelo, obviously. And boy, did, because that fight was, you know, unfortunately, we didn't live up to our expectations for that fight. Um, that one guy uh, that missed that round was in agreement on 11 out of 12 rounds with Dave Moretti, who's arguably the best, one of the best judges, if not the best judge in the world. He's done over 175 championship fights and over, 100, uh, over thousands of undercard um, fights. So uh, at this point in time, uh, 
I know we're running on a schedule. Uh, do we have any questions? Anybody have? Yes, sir. Please feel free to ask me anything you like. Wanted to commend you on your first priority of safety and health. It's very good. Uh, I want to ask you. you. I wanted to ask you something about. I have a question about brain trauma. I deal with it in my private practice. What is what is being done for immediate or even long-term brain trauma, especially like 10, 15, 20 years later in lieu of the latest scientific research which shows that it's not just one or two big hits that causes the brain trauma 10, 20 years later, but multiple, multiple small hits time and time, whether it's a football high school kid or whether it's a professional athlete. Well, in answer to your question, sir, right now, um, first of all, if somebody's been knocked out or lost a number of fights, I'm not going to prove them because he may be damaged. But specifically, the Lou Ruval Center is conducting multiple tests on that matter and on that situation. It's something that's very significant. And we give, during our pre-fight instructions, we tell them about really watching out from hitting in the back of the head to prevent uh, brain bleeds. But... Um, but that's an excellent point. And one of the things, because we're, we're conducting the Nevada State Athletic Commission with uh, Wayne State Engineering University, uh, we're having them use different types of gloves and see what the effects are from 8- and 10-ounce gloves. So, um, yes, sir. Mr. Bennett, what uh, the rules on wagering for the boxers or fighters or their family? Is there something established for that? You know, that's not... In our regs, obviously, uh, we don't want to see the fighter going up to uh, the sports book or if, if we see some, if it's brought to our attention there's some nefarious activities going on, then we will address it. But uh, no, by and large, um, when you get to the championship fights, um, you know, I, I think there's very few fights that, that are fixed. Uh, when you have to match the undercard up, you get, a, you get so many mismatches that um, that's why I'm. That's one of the reasons why I'm hoarse, because uh, you know I tried to be a nice guy in the beginning, and then I realized how they are, how the matchmakers are, and I said, okay, we can do we can do it the other way if you want, and I still don't give in. So, uh, yes, sir. Uh, both of the major casino groups indicated they're going to have, they anticipate lower uh, gross revenues because we don't have a big fight in the third quarter. Do you see the trajectory of boxing going up? Is this just an anomalous period, or or is this a sport that that's going to continue to have draw crowds, or is it or is it shrinking? That's a great question. I, I think when you look at the last Triple G Canelo fight just last Saturday night at the T-Mobile, it sold over twenty-one thousand tickets. So it really depends on who the boxers are, uh, and at the same time, if you take a look at the UFC. They've got a phenomenal business plan because they don't have to adhere to the Muhammad Ali Act. But, you know, they, they have over 550 fighters uh, that they manage, and they put the best against the very best, and that's why their house, the, the arena, is filled, you know, way before uh, it is in boxing. But, uh, no, from what we're seeing, I mean, right now, like we're booked all the way up into, into January. So... It fluctuates. All of a sudden, there's a lull. Then it comes back, and it just depends what fighters, how, how productive, how great those fighters are, and if the fans like to see them. Like some people love Triple G and, and uh, Canelo because they go at it for 12 rounds in that last fight. 
Other people like myself, I happen to like Mayweather. I don't like him. I'm not prejudiced or biased towards him. I got to be careful what I say because I respect his defense, okay? You know, it's like if you had a street fight. You want to hit the guy, but you don't want to get hit. And that's why Mayweather's got a good head on his shoulders because he arguably has the best defense in the, in the history of boxing. God bless you. So um, we're going to have to uh, wait to see what comes up with his next fight, maybe with Manny. So I don't, I don't really want to say too much because it could be misconstrued. <laughs> yes, sir. I'm curious, if, if a fight takes place here, do we get any economic benefit from the pay-per-view audience? Uh, no, not, not, not generally, but the economic impact from uh, unarmed combat events is really significant. You see what happens at McCarran Airport, the mom-and-pop shops, uh, you know, even the gasoline pumps. Uh, you go ahead and you see what happens in the hotels. You know, MGM will pay top dollar to get, a, to get that fight here. Then it's incumbent upon us. So gaming goes up, the roommates go up, food and beverage goes up. You know, it's great for the taxi cabs. So the whole community, to include, you know, northern uh, Nevada, everybody gets a fair share of the pie. So um, it's a, uh, it, it definitely, th these big fights have a tremendous economic impact. But I can tell you one thing that comes to mind. And uh, I don't know if you heard of a fighter by the name of Jaime Mangia. We won't, we won't, he's going to be a young man. That's a, he's a superstar right now. But he's a young guy that, that we didn't approve when Canelo fell out of the first fight with uh, Triple G. We put, they put a lot of pressure on us to put this young man that was 20 years old to go ahead and fight uh, Triple G. And uh, that would have been a real bad move. You know, they had a hell of a sales pitch to, for us to approve it. And uh, quite frankly, I was on the phone with the chairman at 10.30 at night saying, listen, we're being pressured into this fight, but I'm telling you, it's not a good fight for our state. And um, so we, we declined the fight. He went back to New York. This guy's, this guy's like 20, 21 years old, six foot. He, he, when he weighs in after the weigh-in, he comes back at like 170. So he was fighting junior middleweight at 154 uh, with Saddam Ali. And then, you know, by the time the fight comes he's at a he's at a buck seventy and Saddam Ali's at like one fifty four plus this kid's like six six foot and he's got power in both hands so it won't be long because he won't be at the older he gets it becomes it'll become harder so he'll move up to a middleweight one sixty and then probably uh, when he gets really experienced and has a good defense because he's a really powerful puncher and he's a nice young man and he, he he I don't know if he was sarcastic or he was complimentary when he said. Uh, I want to thank the Nevada State Athletic Commission for not approving my fight with uh, Triple G. So uh, when he came here to fight in Vegas, I said, hey, Jaime, come on over here for a minute. I'm the guy that didn't approve that fight with the chairman. Like, are you sincere? Uh, bring your trainer over here, too. You know, and uh, we, we let him know that, hey, you know, it's a good feeling, to be honest with you. You know that you did the right thing, and now, you know, this young man has a future. Last fight, he made $250,000. And, you know, he's got a, a bright future ahead of him. If we were to put him in a mismatch, and Canelo, um, Triple G is arguably one of the hardest punches in the business, he could have damaged that kid, and, and he would be on a shelf, and, you know, he would never even seen the light of day that he's seeing right now. So from, uh, from our perspective, it was a great team effort by the commission not to approve that fight. Yes.
Hi, on that Pacquiao-Mayweather fight, I don't think I've seen so much hype in, in distant memory. I mean, there was so much hype around that fight. And I was just wondering if uh, both fighters went through the stringent health checks that you've described earlier, and if so, what the heck happened? Well, see now we're running out of time. <laughs> now, I, that's, a, that's a good question, and um, it's probably uh, better I talk about that at another time, but um, both, both fighters, no, I mean, he, he had a standard test, and then supposedly he had a, a, a torn rotator cuff, but you have to be really careful about talking about a fighter's medicals in public because of the HIPAA laws and things like that. But, um, yeah, that fight got a lot of hype, and um, it didn't live up to its expectations, and um, we're well aware of, of, uh, of the situation. Um, but one of the things, all the pundits, people around the country, complained about the McGregor-Mayweather fight. And uh, you know what? We did our homework on that fight. It turned out to be a great fight. It was a great fight for the city, great fight for the state, and uh, for, for boxing fans and MMA fans. And I think that's about it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for coming as well. I'd like to present you... Uh, what do we do with it? Here. It's underneath everything here. We give all of our speakers the Share What You Can Award, and it is a certificate uh, that we will give to you, and then we will provide a meal to a needy uh, veteran uh, on your behalf. So oh, thank great. you so much. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Holy. Oh. Just have a final stuff to go through here. Let me just take that back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's, uh, <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> as we leave here, t before we go, uh, we have a board meeting uh, immediately following in the room uh, behind the bar, and so as we leave here today, um, if we, let's go forth into the world in peace, be of good courage, hold fast to that which is good, Randall to no one, evil for evil, strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the afflicted. Honor all persons, love and serve each other, rejoicing in the fellowship of Rotary. Be people of action, be the inspiration. Meeting adjourned. We hope you enjoyed this podcast of our latest meeting. If you'd like to know more about our projects or are interested in membership in the club, please visit us at lasvegasrotary.com. Now go forth and be the inspiration.